Cliff Central is turning one, and to celebrate, we're giving away half a million rand in smartphones. Half a million rand in smartphones. You could win just by listening to Cliff Central on WeChat every day during every show. Yeah, baby. If you want an upgrade or you need a new smartphone, we'll hook you up. Win with Cliff Central and WeChat for the month of April and visit cliffcentral.com for details. T's and C's apply. For a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff. Cliffcentral.com. Well, it's one o'clock. Well, not precisely one o'clock. I would say 106.37 seconds. Uh, and it is Thursday. And therefore, it is time for Between Two Femmes. Sadly, I'm Aspasia Karras and I'm here alone without my femme, Mabali Molloy, who has a terrible flu. So she is resting up her voice, which is terribly important because, you know, she's on that other show in the morning. <laughs> Every morning, and I think she needs to talk there more than she does here. And I am here alone. So, it's a very interesting afternoon because we are discussing the state of the South African vagina. Yes, I'm seeing some looks of surprise through the window. Mm -hmm, Because it truly is the state of the South African vagina. Today, the lovely Dr. Chetan Patel will be joining me shortly to describe um, his various interventions on on said physiological um, state. <laughs> um, in the interim, it's time for the woman's news. And we have the Opa Dollars to start it, if we could only get it. Because, you know, that's what I do when my buddy's not here, then I play. There we go. That's news time. (laughs) So, big news in the women's news this week because Hillary Clinton declared her campaign on Sunday night. Uh, People were waiting all day. There were anxious tweets. And then finally, the campaign came through. She said she is going to be running for president in 2016. Um, She had a very interesting approach to setting up the campaign because she opened with a video which showed all sorts of middle Americans. I think she's targeting middle America and trying to prove that she is middle America. Of course, chances are that it will end up being a a campaign against two great dynasties because Jeb Bush is throwing his hat in the, into the ring. And so I, I will be interested to see if it boils down to Hillary Clinton versus Bush, which takes us back to a certain amount of history, doesn't it? The other huge women's news moment was that Helen Ziller stepped down, um, said she's not going to be uh, carrying on as the leader of the DA. And that is very interesting. Uh, the Twitter sphere met this news with great delight, you might have noticed, because apart from the fact that they were quite pleased that she was leaving, uh, they also viewed it as like a really good act of leadership on the part of Helen Zilla because she was increasingly becoming like a bit of a liability for her party um, due to the crazy tweets, essentially, and like sort of 
speaking madly off the cuff. And um, I wonder if the DA will finally find it in itself to get a black leader. This will be interesting. Something to follow. Uh, a very interesting development in Brazil is called Chega de Fiu Fiu, which means enough with the bloody catcalls. Well, I added the word catcalls. Uh, this woman, Juliana de Faria, had enough of the catcalls and started a map on which any woman in Brazil can pinpoint. She puts a pin on the street where she was harassed and then she writes the story and it has grown from strength to strength and become a hugely popular exercise because apparently in Brazil women really suffer from constant harassment and they have had enough. And really just a very sad ending to the women's news. It is a year since the girls were abducted in Chibok in Nigeria. The Nigerian girls are still missing. They are not back, despite the hashtag campaign um, and the international sort of fervor and all sorts of promises from all sorts of celebrities saying that they're going to bring back our goals. Sadly, the goals are still there. And interestingly enough, even though there's a new president, this story continues. Um, so bring back our goals. Was it a failed campaign? I think so. So now we are going back into my crazy song because that is the end of the women's news. And we are getting Dr. Chetan Patel. I'm not sure that I have Duncan sitting here doing the show with me. And I'm not sure if, if that works. The woman's dollars like that. <laughs> but it is the woman's news. Um, so now we're heading into this very interesting um, subject matter. The woman's vaginas. Apparently, now I met Dr. Chetan Patel from Laser Derm. About, um, was it a year ago? That sounds about right, Aspasia. <laughs> and we had a very interesting conversation on that particular day because you told us we were a room full of beauty and um, editorial journalists, women's editorial journalists, about the crazy trend. Now, here is what struck me at the time, that you were doing something like, 30 vaginoplasties a month. Would that be right? I don't think I was doing that many, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe 25. But it was a large, it was a substantial amount of vaginoplasties. The trend vaginoplasty. was really increasing and, and it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Crazy is as crazy does, I suppose. And, uh, <laughs> as we get into more and more sort of aesthetic, uh, improvements and aesthetic wants, and as media takes us in that direction, uh, so we find that more and more of these avenues suddenly open up, which before were considered totally taboo. I mean, whoever thought that at lunchtime you could say, you know, I'm going to talk about the state of the South African vagina, <laughs> and now you're talking about it and discussing it quite openly. So, yes, yes, um, <clears throat> we are. It, yeah. And so now tell us a bit about, like, look, when we are talking about a vaginoplasty, which is clearly quite an invasive procedure 
there are obviously like sort of various levels of engagement that people could go in. Right. To the South African VAG. Right. Let us just say, what is the like sort of least invasive thing that you do? And what is the most invasive thing that you do? And how many of these things are absolutely necessary? Fine. The least invasive thing you can do is just look at it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, I, I would have always thought that was good enough. Like, absolutely. A lot of people haven't even looked at their vagina. Exactly. And most people haven't even looked at this. So unfortunately, what's you know, happened? That video that... <clears throat> Going viral, showing women looking, seeing their vaginas for the first time. So I don't understand how you get from that point where you never look at it to the most extremely invasive thing, which is? Well, which is a total vaginal rejuvenation, which is actually a urogynecological procedure. So this is the, it's an important thing that we'll get to is that a lot of women suffer from symptoms such as urine leaks, Was this prolapse, given, and so on, yeah. after they've given birth, which are far more uh, pressing. It's a far, there's a far more pressing need to sort out the actual pressing symptoms. Pressing being the operative word. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And in that urogynecological plastic yeah, surgery yeah. procedure, the aesthetic part of it is what's done on the outside. The functional mm, part mm. of it is what's done on the inside, and that's important to realize. So we'll get on to that, uh, that a little bit later. But you, you asked, how did we get from just looking or never looking to looking so much at it that, that we're now considering doing all these procedures? Yeah, an aesthetic need to change <clears throat> the way it looks. Well, here's how it works. Uh, how did we eventually get from, you know, um, hustler to <laughs> playboy to skimpier and skimpier outfits to waxing mm. and to actually getting beyond the furball that's set there, and now you can actually see what's there. So, now that I mean, you've waxed, I so, mean, there's something that you're saying here, which which I've always maintained, which is like the sort of pornification of popular culture. Yes. I blame Madonna. Not only is she sticking her tongue down Drake's <laughs> throat, like <laughs> causing him huge angst, but she also created like a sort of you know back in bed with Madonna as she kept on. Pushing the boundaries of what was kind of acceptable. Suddenly it became acceptable to just like be a pop star and kind of do full frontal pictures of your vag. This was in the nineties. This was like sort of crazy stuff. Correct. Now it's normal. Now. Absolutely. You open your phone and porn is like sort of immediately available. And I think a hundred percent. So I think that has such a big role to play, and a lot of people are, are the and opinion. And it's not seventies porn. No, with the, like, big hairy bush. No. It's like modern porn, and I think pornographers, because it was so available, had to like make, you know, the vagina more obvious to everyone. Completely. So they laid it bare, and now people are feeling that there's something wrong with theirs. Well, when you lay something as bare as that, <laughs> right? And truth be told. It's not the most pleasing picture in the world. I don't know. Are you suggesting right? that you don't like the look Miss, of the... <laughs> you know, McCartney's uh, wall of vaginas yes, wouldn't a, rate upon my sort of top 10 want to go and see sites. You don't No. <laughs> but this is, I mean, speaking of this I'd rather this have artwork, a Renoir sitting which on Which we need to, well. But no, here is this artwork that we are speaking of, this um, 
It was Melissa McCartney. Mm. Uh, not Melissa McCartney. Um, the surname is McCartney. I yes. forget the first. I'm first also name. forgetting it. But here's the point is that this, for people who don't know this particular artwork, is plaster casts of like something like a thousand Correct. vaginas. And here's my point. They all look completely, yeah, it's called the Great Wall of Vagina. That's it. Good God. Um, <coughs> Google it. It's scary, the Great Wall of Vagina. But here's the point with it. All these vaginas look completely different. So exactly. How, how are people coming to you when they come to you and say, Dr. Patel, I need to, to fix my vagina. You know, not one vagina looks there's nothing you can say, well, this is a normal vagina. That's standard. However, yeah. however, mm. download those porn sites again. And the vagina are standard. And there you standard. will see the standardized vagina. The thick outer lips, the thin inner lips, the neatened no hair whatsoever, not a blemish there. And what everyone considers their version of a standard outer it's not really the term vagina is wrong as well okay, the vagina yeah, because the vagina is actually in a everything. but it's the labia yes. it's the it's the outer perineum that is that's causing, being described that is causing exactly. the angst exactly so it's so, on the surface and and then you then you have a look at pictures of uh, vajazzling Mm-hmm. And that paints a whole different picture. So you add on to standardization. You know, now you're customizing. You're making an AMG out of a vagina. Well, we've or a actually labia. had Francis Goodman <laughs> here, who did that whole project, that whole art project with the vajazzling of the vaginas. Uh, she is a girl who has seen a lot of vaginas because she Absolutely. vajazzled every single one of them. Yep. Which was insane. But um, <clears throat> there again, there were no standard vaginas. But um, she she assured me that there were no there were no standard vaginas. <laughs> so what do they ask that, you for? And that's what do very they ask true. You for? So when when patients come, it really depends on the age of the patient. Mm. And I can I can say this speaking from my practice that I see far more older or middle aged women than younger women, thankfully, asking for things to be done. So post pregnancy. Mm. Um, almost in the menopausal age group and so on. And really the symptoms are, well, I'm not happy with the look of my labia. I have discomfort during sex, so there's symptoms mm. as well. And I have discomfort wearing proper underwear or there's a specific sporting need. Mm. And specifically in the younger group, this would be horse riders, bikers, Gymnasts, when you say sporting need, what does that mean? Their so, vagina is getting in the way of their sport. If you're a, if you're a hundred meter sprinter, <laughs> and if Sorry, you have and if you have large labia, then wearing um, you know a sporting tight oh. doing a hundred meters is not comfortable because so, it creates your because camel it creates, toe exactly because <laughs> it creates a camel toe and it creates friction. So that's not very good to have, and therefore that creates. I think a very warranted need to actually do something okay. about that to assist that person in actually just improving their lifestyle. Or horse riding. Or horse riding. Absolutely. So fiction is an issue. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many of these people do you think have <clears throat> developed like a sort of, because I mean, look, you deal in aesthetics all the time and you, there's, there's a spectrum. Let's yes. be frank. Yes. There's people who just By the way, we're all on the spectrum. We're all on the spectrum, I know. Mm. <laughs> I mean, having this conversation <laughs> makes me feel like I'm on the spectrum. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, but don't question me too closely. But but here's the thing. 
obviously we're on the spectrum and so you have some ladies who have become addicted to the idea that they need X, Y, and Z intervention in order to just... But that would apply to any aesthetic procedure yeah. and not specifically only no, to labor no, no, But yes, you're right. Yeah. So there's that group of people. How do you deal people. with these people? Do you give them counseling? <clears throat> I mean, we have somebody on the on Cliff Central, let me just um, explain, who's gone on, um, who's just had a, a bariatric bypass or whatever it's called. Right. And she had to have like an incredible amount of counseling. To get through it, the lovely Lorraine Mizell, who will obviously be sharing her story with completely <laughs> the listeners, but a lot of psychiatric counseling going, gee, are you sure? Yes. So how do you deal with the people who clearly are not suffering from, you know, camel toes, they run their hundred meters or their professional show jumpers? Right. So every single consultation, mm-hmm. whether it be for labiaplasty or any other aesthetic procedure, it's like an interview. You're into the client is interviewing me to assess whether I'm the person who's going to help them and whether they can trust me mm. in doing what they wish to do. But at the same time, I'm interviewing them. I might add that Dr. Patel is in his scrubs. He came directly <laughs> from <laughs> surgery. Were you doing a vaginoplasty? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. So I'm interviewing that patient all the time yeah. and I'm assessing whether that patient's needs and wants are, are realistic. Yes. If they're not realistic, I will not do the surgery. Do you think a lot of it is coming from like say, because you're saying they're slightly older women, are they suddenly find themselves single again, maybe divorced? Maybe they're suddenly going to have to expose yield, um, <laughs> vagina to some random, I think, new guy, I think and like suddenly, suddenly because of media images, yeah. they've had a look. And now they're freaked out. And they may not be freaked out, but they certainly see a need to do an improvement where previously they wouldn't have. And m- my personal feeling is that it really does all start off with actually the basics of getting rid of the hair first. Yeah. So if you, if you were an unwaxed, totally natural person, then I don't think you would have had much issue with, with the what look was of going the, on underneath. No, no. So it's actually the Brazilians' fault. It's yes. not even Madin- Madonna. Yes. Not only are they, are they getting rid of the Amazon, they're getting rid of the real Everything, <laughs> all, all sort of bushy situations. Exactly, exactly. So we can blame them. Well, it's because, I mean, I think where, why it started there was they wear these very minuscule bikinis. Correct. They are the home of the like sort of insane plastic surgery. It's it it wouldn't be classed as I suppose you you can say it's insane plastic surgery, but if you're going to mm. say that you know buttock augmentations or fat grafting oh, see, is insane, insane, then you've got to ask yourself, well, what is actually which surgeries are normal? Fifty years ago, if you suggested to someone that we'd be tying your stomach off to stop you eating, um, they'd say, well, you're a little bit insane. Mm. And yet today, it is very acceptable, and in fact. Bariatric surgery is recommended for certain patients in terms of not only weight yeah. loss, but in terms of lifestyle change. So if you can get a procedure to alter lifestyles, yeah, yeah. then that is, that is a good indication. If you just do, and that's why it's got to be tailored to each individual. Mm. So now have you found that people who have had this surgery subsequently, how long are they out of commission for? 
out of sexual commission, we say six weeks, which is really the most important question that everyone wants to know. If, if I get horse riders or bike riders or whatever, then I generally tell them four to six weeks, please don't get onto the saddle because it is a sensitive area. And it's more from allowing the scarring to heal that you're going to be really, really sensitive if you sit on a, on a bike saddle for three hours mm. in a week's time. Are you married, Doctor? Totally. <laughs> because here is a question and very from happily so. <laughs> Mr. Inappropriate. That is their tag. And they're saying, is your wife secure? <laughs> She's completely secure and understands what I do as a plastic surgeon, yes. Okay, good. I mean, I'm sure people ask this of obstetricians as all, well, the, all time. the time. Because all the time. They can't imagine just like, I, here's my question. Surely after you've seen one. You've ended up seeing them all this is in the th- all their glory. This is the thing. When you work with human anatomy every single day of your life, it becomes a thing of actually doing work. And yes, we can appreciate beauty. So as a plastic surgeon, mm. if a patient has a good body, I'm going to tell them while they're naked in front of me, <laughs> you've got a really good body. And that's okay. Yes. Here is here is the question. If... if um you are confronted by um, a patient who does have a good body, but clearly has low self-esteem. How do you how do you counsel them? What do you what do you say to them? Because I mean, there's that ethical boundary that might be crossed. There completely is. So there's a very distinct clinical entity, and it's a psychiatric entity known as body dysmorphic disorder, mm. and BDD is something that a lot of patients suffer from. The other extremes of that are anorexia and bulimia and so on. And so these are very intertwined. When you approach, when you see such a patient who's got low self-esteem, you've got to, you've got to try and say to them, well, what are the reasons that you want the surgery done? Mm. And how is it going to make an improvement in your life? And if I as a surgeon don't believe that that surgery is warranted, I'm going to ask them to either get further counseling. I'm not going to do the counseling myself no. because that's not my role. Um, but I'm sitting and advise them as to where they can go, what they can do, and whether that surgery is really warranted. You know, la- last week we uh, we were talking about Dove had started this new campaign um, about um, called Choose Beautiful because they had these doors and people were going in through two doors and they could choose average or beautiful. And, you know, what was disturbing, obviously, it was a Dove campaign. So, But that large proportion of women were choosing to go through the average door and were not considering themselves beautiful. Now, here's the thing, because obviously now we're, we're modifying labia to make them look to this idealized version of what a labia should look like. I mean, we've been tampering with noses for ages Mm -hmm. going, let's, you know, there's an ideal of a nose and then there's yours. Yes. Not quite the same. I'm speaking specifically of mine or whatever the case may be. So isn't it, I mean, do you find that people are becoming increasingly more confused by the ideals? Or what is an De- ideal? And are definitely. we also becoming, ending up looking the same? Definitely. Because. So what, what people don't understand is, and this is typical of Southern California, Southern East, East Coast of the United States, so Miami, Florida, that area, 
if you go out and you notice and you watch and a great pastime of myself and Terry, my wife, mm. is to sit at the your very secure wife. Exactly. Take that inappropriate. Is to the watch, wife is secure. <laughs> is to watch uh, people go by, you know, at the sidewalk and just comment on them. Yeah. Uh, because oh. clearly myself and Terry are perfect in this world, so we just <laughs> comment on how imperfect everyone else is. So and you'll notice that in those areas everyone looks almost like an archetypal there's just this look about them that yeah. it looks very similar. And what I've realized in practice, certainly of aesthetic side of plastic surgery, is that everyone has a certain beauty in them. Every single person. There is nothing, there is no such, that's why I'm not surprised that most people walk through average because they, mm. it's, the beautification is photoshopped. It's um, everything that you see on a magazine cover is photoshopped. Every well. little curve down to the last detail down to Beyonce's oh, curves and Beyonce's curves are just nearly almost perfect but even hers in certain photographs are photoshopped so people have this ideal that they mm. want to go to but don't understand that actually what they have is actually very natural and very normal and it's those little quirks those little asymmetries in your you face exactly Specifically with your nose and with noses, you've got to be very careful of creating the same nose for every single person. Which, which I think is what is happening. People are ending up yes. looking no. kind of uniform. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. is this, is this the, so tragic, really? You can see it in two ways. You can see it as tragic or that's just the way the world is. And I suppose where there's a market and where there's a demand, there's going to be a set of suppliers and you've got to kind of say well where where does that balance come in where do you say no enough is enough and the key i think in plastic surgery the key in plastic surgery is really to understand what are you comfortable as a surgeon performing on a patient and for me i must be comfortable that when i do the procedure that patient is going to come back to me and say you've improved my life if I can, if I can okay, have that. So, so in the consultation, like let's say the post-vag consultation. Yes. yes. How many satisfied customers do you get? <laughs> do they come back and say, it's they, so much better? They are, they, they satisfied, but they satisfied with specific symptoms. And I'll tell you what yeah. is the biggest, uh, it's not the biggest lie out there, but it's the biggest misconception. And there's a site called realself.com. And for mm. anyone who's wanting to research aesthetic surgery or plastic surgery, go to realself.com. Um, there are a lot of um, people testifying out there that it's improved their sex life, mm. specifically non-invasive vaginal treatments to tighten the vagina. And what are those? These are laser-based or radiofrequency-based treatments, much like getting a transvaginal ultrasound done where a probe is inserted into the vagina. It heats up like a hot poker and basically creates tissue tightening. I can see someone squirming oh, here in front Duncan. of me. Duncan it's, is squirming. This exactly. is just too much information. You know, it is too much information. So <laughs> when you, and, and it heats the tissue in the vagina, yeah. causing contraction of that tissue as you would a burn. Yeah. So it's creating a moderate burn, allowing tightening of this tissue. The feedback is very market driven because all of the studies that claim that it's improved sexual function are all market related. In other words, yeah, it's the done by the companies that are yeah. making the lasers. And that is the biggest 
sort of um, downside to all of this aesthetic stuff is that a lot of the research, and this is where the confusion comes in, yeah. is driven by market market forces rather than uh, market um, sort of, uh, what do you call independent, it? Independent forces yeah. who actually just out there to say, is this good for my patient or not? And that's the main thing that you've got to distinguish in in assessing. And that's why I always say to patients, it's not the instrument, it's not the laser, it's not the treatment that's mm. going to make the difference. It's the person who's performing it. Because that's why a plastic surgeon has had to study for 14 odd years to gain that experience to say when not to do things. And let's let's also just be frank because there is, in fact, a, a positive outcome. A lot of people end up just immediately feeling better about themselves. Completely. Not just in terms of the, like, if you can wear, but like their boobs. If their you can noses. wear a bikini without yes. a camel toe, you're going to be happier. If you can ride your bicycle without having friction burns or, you know, in the perineum, you're going to be happier. That makes sense to me. Um, and you could also just wear those adult nappies. And aesthetically, if your labia look better, and that psychologically gives you a better high when you're having sex with your husband or your partner, then that has made a difference to your life. Now, let me ask you this, because obviously in the 14 years that you trained, on the very many years, um, and then we'll ask another question, but I just want to hmm. ask this. You know, obviously we've been reading a lot in the news about people using drying agents to... Um, dry out their vaginas because this is meant to be some kind of uh, aphrodisiac in amongst South African men. Um, have you come across the stuff? And and what do you what do you? I mean, uh, apparently it's really bad for women to do that because you know not only do they transmit more sexual diseases as a result of the wear and tear that is suddenly happening, but yes. So you've come across this. What does it I've, look like? What happens? Thankfully, in my practice, I have not come specifically across it and commonly across it, but I certainly have heard of you know specific douches and various all sorts of things that can be washed yeah, out. I heard Zimbabwean and herbs I think Oprah Winfrey the was the one who coined the term that the vagina is a self-cleaning oven. <laughs> so let it be just that. Nature takes care of itself, and if you're going to kind of you know do all of these um, interventions which are really not researched that well and can sometimes be downright dangerous, yeah. then you're going to face consequences thereof. And one of those consequences is drying out the mucosa, which can create further pain and so on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, okay, Sevilla Mbokazi is asking us. She says slightly off topic. Mm. But, uh, okay, then she's now, I'm not asking. Sevilla's question. I'll right. ask you later and I'll tweet her. Fine. Directly. <laughs> ah, ah, sorry. Almost. Ah, sorry, Sevilla. I didn't read the whole <laughs> question. She wanted to remain anonymous. Um, and Sonia Do, I'm sorry. I can't answer this because uh, I think the Samsung competition will be running in the next show later, not in ours. Sadly. <laughs> I don't know why. But we'll do the, the draw shortly. <laughs> Um, Sevilla, I'm going to answer your question later, um, which was not such an embarrassing question, but nevertheless, will perfect. Just people must know that she's not actually asking about vaginas. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we'll but, answer her uh, question later on. Um, 
what is the most like sort of happy moment you've had in in your your surgical career? The most happy moment, like one I've when ever you've had. gone, looked back, and said, "I think, wow, this is why I became <clears throat> a surgeon." Right. So a plastic surgeon. So as a plastic surgeon, it's important to distinguish that a lot a lot of plastic surgeons, certainly in Johannesburg, South Africa, have a dual role. We do aesthetic surgery and we do reconstructive surgery. And we trained primarily as reconstructive surgeons. Mm -hmm. We then add on the cosmetic sort of suit a little bit later on in our careers. And most of us go on in this dual role for a large proportion of that. And I, I can, you know, without doubt say that my most fulfilling moments in surgery have come from, for instance, reconstructing a thumb, which is what I like doing. I like reconstructing hands. That's what I, that's what I do as my reconstructive surgery. Aesthetic surgery, though, has given me a, a great sort of avenue to assist people that are not necessarily imperfect. In fact, they're perfect when they come. Mm. And this, this applies to a lot of patients who have breast augmentations, for instance. Yeah. You're taking a perfectly beautiful pair of breasts and you're enlarging them. So your job there is so important to not make those breasts look worse than what you started with. And so I've had a number of very, very satisfied, very happy patients who've just come back and say, you know what, it's the best thing I've ever did. And that in itself is fulfilling. Let me tell you the nail bar so, story about breast augmentation. <laughs> this is why you mustn't go to like sort of your GP. Right. Because... <laughs> The the nail bar story doing its rounds at the moment, which may be apocryphal. You know how there's yes. like an urban legend, but somebody yes. was telling us about a friend of hers who said, no, she went to her GP for a breast <clears throat> augmentation. And obviously, you know, women who've had them then want to show them off immediately. So she whipped open the top and the breasts were like sort of facing in two different directions. It was, and so she was like, oh, you know, what to say? Because... Everyone she, gawked yes, instead of yes, and so I'm sure they like some dra dramatic stories. You have to fix things. You do have to fix things, which is why botched has come up as yeah, an episode yeah. on e, e Entertainment TV. And so, what's the worst thing you've had a, to fix? What's the worst thing I've had to fix? Oh, I'm sure I've had to fix a lot, a few things. Thankfully, as a young surgeon, I haven't had that many, <laughs> you know, horrendous things to fix. But the the main thing is that when you have someone who has a poor outcome is then again to counsel that patient through that whole process to allow them to trust you enough that you can actually fix it. Mm -hmm. You're not a miracle worker. And that's the main thing that people need to understand. Plastic surgeons, surgeons in general are not God. We think we are, but we're not. Um, <laughs> and when a patient comes to you, you've got to say to them, well, realistically, this is what I can do for you. And always over... Um, over deliver and under promise always so <laughs> allow that patient to get very realistic expectations and then when you fix it for them they're that much happier but you've got them to a stage where psychologically the psychology of plastic surgery is almost bigger than the plastic surgery itself the psychology of how to work a patient up in order to make sure that that patient when they see you post-operatively are happy is happy yeah. um is is massive and the amount of interplay that goes on in those consultations oftentimes it's not just a single consultation it's two or three before the operation um, it's making that patient understand that yes there is a problem but we can sort it out now we're 
breaking for a little song right now. Perfect. And then we are going to carry on this fantastically interesting conversation. <laughs> Why it's so loud? If you don't like my sound, you can turn it down. I got a road, and I walk it alone. Unreal, uncensored, unradio. Cliffcentral.com. So we're back, and um, whilst we were on the break, <laughs> we got into a very interesting conversation, which is about the boundaries. So obviously everyone is human and apparently this is something that surgeons discuss amongst themselves. But the question is, which was also from inappropriate was, um, do you find yourself getting turned on by somebody when they're actually, as you said, particularly beautiful and there's nothing really wrong with them. Right. Now they're standing here naked in front of you in all their glory. Absolutely. Some so more than others. <laughs> So first of all, to inappropriate comment is that not all plastic surgeons are only male. They're yes, female plastic yes. surgeons as well. Secondly. And are the female plastic surgeons getting turned on? We wonder. I'm sure they are. <laughs> if you saw something beautiful, you would get turned on, whether it be a painting, a motor car or a body. So you would get Didn't turned on. Didn't they get on. turned on by motor cars right. in, a, like, in that way? You ask the <laughs> petrol heads. <laughs> so... If you see a beautiful body in front of you, yes. Have I gotten turned on before? The answer is yes. Have I made it an obsession to ogle at the body that's in front of me? The answer is completely no. So what do we do as plastic surgeons to stop us from getting sued for sexual harassment? And that's one of the things pour I do cold is... water for yourself? Pour cold, exactly. <laughs> Instead of break out in a sweat, just blame it on the water. I've got, a, I've got a nurse in my rooms who accompanies me to every single consultation so that when I examine patients, mm -hmm. they're quite comfortable in front of me. Whether they're male patients or female patients, she's there with me. And I'll often say to the patient in front of Megan, my nurse, that you've got really beautiful breasts or what's, what's wrong with your thighs? They're great. Mm -hmm. And that is me appreciating for that patient, what I would like to appreciate and what I would like to get across to them. But it's also psychologically saying to that patient that actually there's not much wrong with you. Mm. So temper your expectations as to what you want done. So let's, um, there, there's a very, there, there's a very sad story right now about Dr. Brandt, who was the incredibly famous, um, uh, the king of Botox, essentially, who just committed suicide last week. Right. And that was like a very interesting story. I don't know if you heard about him. Right. Thankfully, Dr. Brent hasn't hit my rooms yet, but, <laughs> or the story hasn't hit my rooms, yeah. but. So he I was like incredibly <clears throat> famous, like sort of basically doing all sorts of very famous people. And I was reading about the story because, you know, he was discovered dead in, in his apartment. He himself, I think, was like being kind of, there's uh, some comedy on TV um, where they, they're mocking him because obviously he, the great temptation here for him, for Dr. Brandt, which he then clearly succumbed to this temptation was that he kept on injecting himself. With, so he was just like, he actually looked like a waxwork. He'd become like, you know, his own worst advertisement. Like he, yes. he looked bizarre. 
um, like immobilized and things. And yet people went to him because he was this most famous doctor. And what was most interesting for me, and here is the question that I'm getting to, apart from like, are you ever tempted to do stuff on yourself Mm -hmm. or perhaps on Mrs. Patel? Right. And secondly, um, do people, so, so, so what happened was that what was very sad for him was that a lot of his clients did acknowledge him publicly and said, no, this work is from Dr. Brandt. I wasn't born this way. And then a whole lot of others, like he'd see in social events and things, and they would just ignore him, pretend they'd never met him. And then they were in his rooms every day. So that is my second question. Answer them. Question A, question B, at will. Okay. Let's go to qu- what's qu- question A. Yeah. Are you ever tempted? Right. Am I ever tempted? So if I take my headphones off, you will notice the most gloriously big and beautiful ears you've ever seen in your life. I've seen worse. And <laughs> I've been told a lot by my colleagues. Do you oh, ever want them sorted out? to hear you with, my exactly. dear. Exactly. And I've never been tempted once to actually do anything about them because within myself, I feel quite comfortable that it's who I am, the way I am, and until such time that I don't feel so, I'll mm. never have that temptation. Because here's the thing, noses and ears grow. They do grow, <laughs> but very slightly. So they grow They grow when we sort of in our 60s and 70s, ah, which is why you look at your gramps so funny. Yes, you know? and, <laughs> that's uh, what I'm worried about, <clears throat> is that this nose, which now is sort of like vaguely symmetrical. Oh, luckily, we have Remington shavers for that, so we can sort that nasal hair and the <laughs> ear hair out. It's not a problem. Don't worry. <laughs> What uh, are you saying about my nasal <laughs> hair? Oh my god, I'm going into like despair here. So, regarding dipping into my coffee, though, will you fix it for me? Procedures on yeah. <laughs> on people within my family or close to me, I am not going to advise anyone to do a procedure. I'm I'm there simply to answer a question if a family member has a request that they'd like to do. Because there's a plastic surgeon in Brazil yeah. who does his wife. Completely. And she's turned, have you seen her? But there's doc- She looks like a, a sort of Barbie doll. It is insane. So you're not tempted to. I'm not to tempted to do that. But then. Has Mrs. I think Patel that's what asked you? She because has. Because if you're sitting yes, around at home late at night, I'm sure she goes. No, she has. Hey, but we, we discuss it as a procedure. Do we X. don't. No, <laughs> we don't discuss it as a, as a, oh, that should be fun or that would be this. <laughs> The, the great thing, I think, about plastic surgeons in South Africa, even up to this day, is that we have not succumbed to the American um, sort of model of being who you are to that extent. Mm. We're plastic surgeons, but that's just that's what we do. We have other yeah. lives. Yeah. We're also people who enjoy sports, or who enjoy arts and culture, or who enjoy other things. Whereas the American model of some plastic surgeons, and Dr. Brent is an example, mm. is that they've him. actually became exact. That's what he is. So therefore, you go to him, and it's those similar types of people that are going to go to him. Thankfully, in South Africa, we've got a very conservative base of people who seek plastic surgery, not as a means to kind of, you know, just broadcast it out there, but as a means to silently sometimes and unassumingly change their lives for the better for themselves. And then through referral, they will, yes, show their boobs to someone, but in, if, in a far more private way than in America. So in America on, on the season, the, on the last season of Botched, you saw um, <laughs> uh, uh, the Kendall who, who has had something ridiculous, no, no, like 200 and something procedures. And when do you stop? When do well, you say no? Well, here's the thing. Would you say no to somebody you <clears throat> saw was like becoming um, clearly their body dysmorphia had reached like sort of insane proportions? Completely. Like the 
the crazies out we, there. You sometimes don't even say no to that person because it's good for them, but because it's good for you as yes. a surgeon. <laughs> because it will eat you away as a surgeon to keep on doing procedures on the patient who is unhappy. Because, I mean, let's be honest, in terms of trends, obviously things are moving on, apart from like the vaginoplasty. Yes. <laughs> but um, surely there are also trends to not looking, uh, for example, I mean, I don't think anyone wants that prehensile Botox forehead anymore. Completely. So 10 years ago when we started out in yeah. aesthetics and everyone was being Botoxed and fillered and made to look like, you know, Madame Tussauds wax models. That trend is now slowly Dr. reversing. Brandt, the poor yes. man, may he rest in peace. Now those yeah. trends are slowly reversing where we want, yes, some of the blemishes to be taken out of the skin, but you actually want to show animation in your face. Mm. You want to have laugh lines when you laugh. You want to have frown lines when you're trying to look angry or perturbed or concerned. So what is the trend now? I mean, yeah, because true. You don't want to look I th- like I think conservatism here I is think, like bringing up some very interesting I think conservatism conservatism is the trend certainly in South Africa okay. and in Europe we follow those trends if you look at China Korea Southeast Asia as well as Brazil and America they're totally different trends there trends there tend to come in and go out very quickly and what do you do when you left with that trend that like now you left with this face um, well the good thing about aesthetic procedures is that, thankfully, they're not permanent. So the changes okay, that so you make to your face can be can reverse back to what they were, which is which is yeah. a good thing. So this is why one of I think just as a basic principle, for instance, in facial rejuvenation, very rarely, unless you're doing a reconstructive mm. case, would you think of putting something permanent in your face. For instance, cheek implants. Why someone would want a cheek implant put into their cheek when they know that going forward, the cheek implant, like silicone, is going to stay where it is and the surrounding skin and soft tissue is going to age and go south is beyond me, especially when you have things like fat grafting or hyaluronic acid so do, fillers do and so they, on. do they like actually sink down? I mean, here's the thing is… Don't they just? <laughs> have you had a look at a photograph of yourself when you were 20? <laughs> Sorry, no, you're 21 no, now. No, no, That's no. a bad example. Yeah, don't so. don't speak to me. I'm like <laughs> permanently so. stuck in amber. But I mean, that is also the the idea, and I think this is why people are becoming so weird about age and obsessed about this stuff because we have this expectation that we are going to live forever. This is Google is like intervening. They're yeah. investing all this money. This is the yes. future. This is the technology is that we'll live forever. But so obviously you don't want to live forever looking like 103. Correct. So Do you want to live forever looking maybe 56. I don't know. I mean, if you are 103, because yes. it's, it's a terrible prospect. And so right. here is the problem is that people are expecting to live much, much longer. Completely. So according to Google, yeah. and Google is one of the prime sponsors of the bioscience yes. lab that's now creating um, endless youth. E- essentially immortality <laughs> in a bottle. Exactly. And by doing this, they've predicted that the first person who's going to live to 150 is alive today. That is a scary thought in itself. It's a very scary thought. And where do you decide to like stop your sort of aging? Correct. Because you have to kind of look 
I normal think, for a I think you decide to stop it, and this is where the kicker is, is that my orthopedic colleagues are going to love it because they're just going to yeah. be doing hip replacement after hip replacement after hip replacement. There are not going to be any hips left. <laughs> so but perhaps everyone will start looking like waxy and weird and face. Eventually, yes. Like in a wind tunnel because. Yes. Because we're all going to get this elixir like, of youth yeah. that we're going to start taking in a bottle that's going to alter our genes at some stage. Because that's where the technology is going. So I think the future holds where you're going to get, yes, immortality and rejuvenation in a bottle. Here's a pill, Espazia. <laughs> oh, you're a 90. That's fine. Here's a 90-year-old pill. Take that. And I'm not even joking because if you go to the back row of Discam, you already see the 30, 40, and 50-year-old bottles. What are they selling there? A whole Hope bunch in a of bottle. Reju- yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, I mean, it's, a, it's quite a scary thought essentially um yes, immortality is. is upon us and it then is. you know keeping your vag young <clears throat> will be sort of incredibly important it may be it <laughs> what may are they going to do with um with sort there, of menopause there's it so many strike. there's so many other things other factors to consider because you may have a young looking body but what's happening to your gray matter up there if that shrivels up into a little pea-sized nut at the end of 120 and you're left with this hulky-looking yeah. 21-year-old and sexy dementia. body. dementia, which brings me to that guy who was… Which is uh, actually great. Did you read that story? <laughs> there's, a, there's a case on… In, in, and this is the final story, but there's a case in um, America at the moment where there, the, the woman, his wife, was in the final stages of Alzheimer's. So she didn't remember her name, like me. I can't remember her name either right now. And the reason it's at the headlines is because he was a Republican legislator, mm-hmm. very famous in his state. Anyway, found like shagging this like sort of demented old lady who didn't even know what yes. was happening to her. And so, <laughs> or did not have any recourse to say that I consent to this, so I don't or consent I don't, to it because I don't, you're not consenting and it's opened anymore. This like sort of. Yes. Can of worms. What happens completely. when we're all 150, completely demented, as you said, but still with a fresh vag? And on that note, I'd like to thank <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Chetan Patel. Thank you so much for it's playing along with us. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.